0: Well, when I was of that age, surrounded by um, friends who were also of that age, thinking about whether to have children or not, and um, beginning to have children, that was everyone had to write out their birth plan, you know? This is exactly what I want when I give birth. And, um, yeah, it is worth laughing at. (laughs) You know those young, energetic parents (laughs) Yes, we do actually know them well. Um, a dear friend of mine knew that she could, that you know, she could write this out. But in the heat of the moment, the doctors and nurses and everyone else may not be paying quite as close attention to the instructions that she had written. <laughs> so what she did is she created like a, a fan, and on one side wrote yes. And on the other side, wrote no. And what she imagined is whenever things are, do you want an epidural? You know, she'd flash out her sign. <laughs> do you want your mother in law in here? I found myself in this weird place of I had so carefully planned this sermon about the power of no two weeks ago and no we did not have church (laughs) it was icy and we called it off and I had very cleverly thought okay I'm going to have a book in power of no and then two weeks later I'll have the power of yes which is today so I, I I thought about that sign, and, okay, if I'm holding no to you, what am I seeing? Yes. yes. Because within every no is a yes, and in every yes is a no. So our theme, so we, we, usually the first Sunday of each month, we talk about our monthly theme, and it's about letting go and surrender and I was going to talk about Lent for those of you who still like ritual in your lives and I preach this at you all the time we've jettisoned so many of our traditions and I think what ritual does and what bringing ritual into your personal life does is just helps you see the world in a new way and Lent has that um, stereotype of being about giving up chocolate or giving up meat, which is saying yes to healthier eating and yes to not eating as much, not being quite the carnivore. That's the yes in there. And I learned a few years back about Lent as a time to take on something, to use that yes in order to see the no. And I was sitting with friends and saying, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for Lent this year. I've told you about one year I tried to give up being late. That made me worse. I was later. Um, So this year I've done two. I've let go of, okay, Marie Kondo's gotten to me. And I am letting go each day of something in our house, which says a lot about privilege and having too much stuff. But I'm letting go of something in our house, and by the end of Lent, I'll have a good pile to take uh, to Goodwill or wherever. Can find a new home, not in our home. <laughs> and then I'm taking on, so that's letting go, that's release, surrender, surrendering to our stuff. The yes in that is we'll have emptier shelves, I hope. And then I'm taking on just looking in every single day for joy. That turns out to be really easy. But it also makes me just more aware of how much joy is out there in this, these days that feel really dark and de- terrible. And um, I, I write it down each night, just one thing. And it's fun. Uh, so if something glorious happens, like I see the sunrise, I'm like, dang, I've already had my joy for the morning. and I <laughs> <laughs> But I get to have more than one joy. Our brown bag group um, watched a TED talk with Pico Iyer, who's a travel writer. And he, Pico Iyer was talking about the joy of stillness, of letting go of busyness and sound and, and being overly busy because as a traveler, he's discovered that it's after the trip and remembering the trip that it actually gets more deeply embedded in his life. And I was thinking that this stillness, this letting go, taking Lent into your life for 40 days is the exact same thing as what travel does. You travel somewhere, and it doesn't have to be far away. It can be Pahuska. It can be South America. It can be the Orient. But when you come home, you notice something differently. So it helps you see the world in a new way, The Buddhists would call it, it makes you more aware, more present. I remember coming back from a trip and seeing all of our lawns and looking at, that's just the weirdest tradition to have these little green things in front of our houses. What's that about? So letting go. And James Baldwin talks about the challenge of letting go as a form of transformation. letting go of perfection, letting go of ideals. I've told you this one before. The prayer I prefer and use regularly, and now that I know about 737 Max Aids, when I'm flying is when I remember it most, but not always. I'll remember it when I'm with someone in the hospital or when I'm sick, is the classic Buddhist prayer that asks you to arrive in the present and to be aware of everything that's happening now. So I'm in the plane. If this plane is to take off, may it take off. If this plane is to fly, may it fly. If this plane is to crash, may it crash. And that last line is the one that's the hardest to say. And you say it, I say it when I'm sick or with someone who's sick. If you are to be sick, then be sick we're so busy trying to be something and not not what we are. And the reason letting go matters and being present with current awareness is then you're really embedded in reality, and whatever you say or whatever you do then comes from reality what is possible and actually is more powerful. We think of letting go as something passive, Um, and it's actually incredibly active. And they paired it, so we get these, these terms from a, a subscription with touchstones that we get, and they put letting go slash surrender. And surrender is a harder word because it, it's part of that warfare term, white flag. It means you've lost. You've lost. Yeah, but not. So let me back up a moment and talk about why I, to even talk about the power of no and we need to have a, an adult forum about podcasts because they actually are some of the new scripture we who believe in sources that revelation is still ongoing there is great wisdom to be had in podcasts and we should share what's, our, what's your favorite podcast and what are mine and one of the first questions I ask my kids what are you listening to now And my daughter turned us on to Dear Sugars, plural. Uh, And it's something that's been going on for several years. In fact, they quit, and it was so popular, they've come back. So Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild, she's the one who, in a moment of crisis, walked the Pacific Crest Trail and then wrote about it and has since written. Um, She was invited by Steve Almond, who's also an author. Um, She wrote the one fan letter to him, and he he asked her to join him. So the two of them give what they call empathetic, radical advice. And they have a two-part series on the power of no. So if you want to find a great podcast, go listen to that. And it's about how often we don't say no, how often do you say yes, and then two seconds later you're like, dang, why did I say that? And you're miserable and you fret about it, The book, I've said this before, the book I hand out and buy in bulk is called Where to Draw the Line. Because if you have any resentments in your life, any, this author, Anne Catherine, says, that's because you haven't said no. You have not set a boundary. And I lapped that up when I had teenagers. (laughs) Because they're so hard to set boundaries with. But think about it. If there's something nagging at you, think about where have I not been clear about what is important to me, what my boundaries are? That no. Because in that no is the yes. This is who I am, and this is what I value. I value some free time, so no, that is a lovely project. But I can't do it. In fact, Steve Almond and Cheryl Strayed end up interviewing um, Oprah Winfrey asking how do you choose between all the ways you are asked to do something and she talks about her family who asks her for money uh, did ask her for money all the time and she felt guilty and had trouble saying no and how she learned to say no and how how that worked out so um, saying no. But I I worried about a sermon that has this binary, because I'm often talking about our culture is so binary, so competitive, winners, losers. One of the preliminary exercises that when you know our the community organizing we work, we do with action. One of the first exercises They have is people reading the Melian Dialogue, which is um, by Thucydides. It's part of the the Peloponnesian War. We have to study that, and then we enact it because what happens is um, the Athenians are taking over the island. And they are saying, we're going to run over you. We're going to kill your men and take your women and children. And what do the Malians respond? And we have to act that out. And no matter how many times I've done this, I've done it more than once, and I know, I know that you're supposed to compromise. (laughs) Because I don't want to die if I'm a, a Malian. So the yes and no has to be nuanced, and you have to be real. So if someone can, says to you, I'm just about to destroy you if, uh, unless you let me invade and um, whatever. The Malians didn't negotiate. They said a clear no, and they were all wiped out. There was no compromise which is what's happening in our politics. So I'm preaching this hard thing about no and yes, and it has to be embedded in reality. We tend to be ideologues in our nos and yeses, and they have to be real. I'm moving on. The compromise, the yes and no. So, the boundaries and what you're setting, what you're saying yes and no to, arise from your intentions. And I worry deeply that I don't preach enough, or we don't work enough, or we don't have conversations enough about what is happening in this world today. Yes, this needs to be a refuge. No, we can't ignore what's going on. Yes, I feel helpless. No, there are things I can do. So when I get shaky need like this and not sure, when so many of the yeses arise these days from false intentions, from briberies, from lies, from greed from cruelty. I want to know how my yes or no can make a difference. And I turn to my favorite theologian, James Luther Adams. So I turn you to him. Um, I pulled out his essay called The War of the Gods. Very briefly, James Luther Adams, Unitarian parish minister, Professor, theologian of the last century, Uh, was in Germany during World War II and saw the church's um, incapacity to act, complicit, the church's complicit behavior. And uh, so, This essay was written actually before World War II. He lived and taught and wrote from the late 20s up until the 80s, taught at Harvard. And I always think of him when I'm hearing political and global and local talk about boundaries of land and he talks about what happens when religion is caught up, and he calls it blood and soil, when those dangerous things are mixed. See if this doesn't sound modern to you. Within each of the nations of the modern world, a number of gods have been vying for first place, So he's making the case that we are religious animals, always will be embedded in adoration and worship of something. A number of gods have been vying for first place. The gods of blood and soil. The gods of the economic systems. And the gods of the state. They may not be given the names of gods, nevertheless... They gain possession of the inner life of the tribe and provide dynamic, or drives, of the common life. These drives constitute modern religions, pushing people into the destructive vortex of the competing polytheisms, more than one god, war of the gods, the war of the gods. And we have to be careful of our own polytheism, our devotion to solely reason, like we're one-note voters—that we only pay attention to logic or words—or that we're not fully connected to heart and body and mind—and so—and and he's critical. Certain, you know, this will resonate with this crowd. Certain types of Christianity must be included among the polytheisms. For example, those types of Christianity which have given an absolute status to the Bible from cover to cover. Or to a church that claims to possess the infallible truth once and for all delivered. And when asking a radical question is blasphemy. So... Sorry, James. When people say that we get to believe anything we want, that's not true. And so, but what was so? How do we judge what we should say yes to and what we should say no to, and which God should we pay attention to? And James Luther Adams comes down to it. He says it. It is the in the democratic church. It is in the freely gathering group that makes decisions as a group that permits self-criticism for the sake of its own health and vitality. It's what that group chooses to worship and rely upon. And he says what that is, is the God of love and the God of freedom. So if whatever you believe doesn't include love and freedom, then dang, let's talk. So that's what you say yes to. That's how you measure your next step. That's how you measure what political ideology, what religious tradition you're paying attention to. Does it embody yes to love? And is there yes to freedom? If not, you have to say no. May it be so.